Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. At the beginning of our worship in church, on the four Sundays of Advent, we light candles, one more each Sunday until Christmas Day, when we light a fifth candle that reminds us of the birth of the light of the world. For our online worship during Advent, you might like to find five candles of your own and light them one by one each Sunday too, or just a single candle to light each week as we begin our worship. And so let us pray together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The prophet Isaiah said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. As we light our Advent candles, we say, May this candle, O Lord of light, be to us a symbol of the hope and joy of Advent. Open our eyes and wake us up, so that we may see the glimmers of dawn in our lives and our world, reminding us of your presence with us and around us, this day and every day. Amen. And we hear the special prayer for today. O Lord, raise up, we pray, your power and come among us, and with great might succour us, that whereas through our sins and wickedness we are grievously hindered in running the race that is set before us, your bountiful grace and mercy may speedily help and deliver us, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory, now and for ever. Amen. Our first reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, beginning at the first verse. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. 
On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's something very powerful about trees. Perhaps it's their size, towering over us. Or their age. Some are hundreds or even thousands of years old, far older than we are. But they matter to us in ways that other plants often don't. Philip and I walked past what used to be a fine stand of trees near Kemsing this week, most of which had been felled because of ash dieback disease. There was no choice in that case. It was the only way of stopping the disease from spreading. But it was a very sad sight. A huge gap in the landscape. And it reminded me of all the trees around the world which are felled for far worse reasons. Apparently 10,000 acres of trees a day are being cleared from the Amazon rainforest, mostly for cattle grazing and cash crops. It's an old story. Humanity has form for this. Dartmoor was deforested by our ancestors in the Bronze Age as agriculture developed. And Seal stands on what was once the edge of the great forest of Anderida, which used to stretch almost unbroken up from the south coast to here and across from Ashford all the way to Petersfield in Hampshire. Trees matter to us, but it's often only when they're gone that we realise how much. They're a vital part of our physical landscape, but they're equally important to our spiritual landscapes too. Sacred stories from many religions celebrate them. 
Norse legends speak of Yggdrasil, the world tree, a giant ash around which all creation was formed. The Buddha found enlightenment sitting under a Bodhi tree. And of course trees are hugely significant in the Bible too. It starts with those trees in the Garden of Eden. Fruit trees of every kind, given as food for humanity. And in the midst of them, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one whose fruit Adam and Eve ate. According to the story, Adam and Eve lost that first paradise as a result. But at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation describes the tree of life standing at the heart of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, bearing fruit every month of the year and leaves which are for the healing of the nations. It's a reminder that whatever happens, the God of life is with us and nothing can defeat his life. Adam and Eve may have been driven out of the garden, but they were never driven out of God's heart. Medieval legends say that a seed from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was placed in Adam's mouth when he died, where it grew, and eventually, after a series of twists and turns too long to recount here, it was used to make the cross on which Jesus died. There's no foundation for that in the Bible, but it shows how important the symbol of the tree was to the medieval storytellers. It rep represented the continuity of God's love and his purpose. But why all this talk of trees? Well, it came into my mind because both our Bible readings today mention them. In the Gospel reading, John the Baptist thunders at his hearers. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's challenging people who think they have an absolute right to be at the centre of everything, who are resting on their historical positions in the national life and faith, and have marginalised others in the process. You may think you're here forever, he tells them, but there's no tree so mighty that it can't be felled. It's important that we recognise that John is talking to particular Pharisees and Sadducees here, part of the religious elites, not to the whole Jewish people. John the Baptist was Jewish, of course, and so were Jesus and his first followers. There's no evidence that any of them intended to found a new religion or to reject their old religion. John isn't saying that the Jewish faith is like a tree which has outlived its usefulness, to be felled and replaced by Christianity. That interpretation is sometimes called replacement theology, and it's been used to justify appalling treatment of Jewish people, including the Holocaust. Essentially, it says, Judaism got it wrong, but now Christianity is getting it right, so Judaism doesn't matter anymore. All too often the unspoken end of the sentence is, and neither do the Jews who practice it. But John isn't saying that. He's challenging us all to look at our own sense of entitlement, the feeling that we have a right to hang on to whatever power or position we happen to have, that we or our pet projects are too big to fail. The truth is, though, that the things we think will be there forever 
can topple and fall in a moment, especially if all we're focusing on is the top growth, the bit that shows, and we're not paying enough attention to the health of the roots and the soil in which they're growing. There were some ripples of anxiety running around in church circles earlier this week when the 2021 census data revealed that those ticking the Christian box on it had fallen to 46% nationally. Now, how useful that statistic really is, is very much open to question. It obviously doesn't translate into actual church going, and it never has done. I'd love to have 46% of the parish expressing their Christian faith in church on a Sunday, though we'd need a pretty huge extension, because that would be about 800 people. If we had that many listening to the podcast, I'd be delighted, but I'm not holding my breath. But our reaction to that statistic tells us something important nonetheless. If our faith is shaken by it, by the prospect of not being quite so much at the centre of national life as we once were, if it depends on a sense of historical power and influence, then it's a faith which probably needs re-examining. If we want a faith that's deep enough to weather the storms of life, it needs to be one which is personal, ours, rooted in our knowledge of the love of God for us and practised and expressed in our own daily life. That's the kind of faith that will endure, sustain us and overflow to others, whether the church is strong or weak, rich or poor, at the centre or out on the margins, plentiful or just two or three gathered in his name. In the Old Testament reading, Isaiah speaks to a nation which was going through a devastating fall from power, defeated by the Babylonians and taken into exile. It was as if the mighty tree of the nation and the faith it was built on had been felled, leaving nothing but a bare stump. But trees are amazing things, says Isaiah. Left to their own devices, if the roots are healthy, the stump will send out shoots. That's what God will do with them, he says. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David, far from an obvious candidate for kingship, a little shepherd boy, the overlooked youngest son of his father. But he was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. God isn't done with us, says Isaiah. He's done it before, he can do it again. And John the Baptist echoes his words as he points forward to Jesus, the one who is coming after me, who will baptise with the Holy Spirit and fire. Sometimes all we may see above ground are ruins, the stump of the tree. But God sees the possibility of a wonderful kingdom of peace and justice, and of glorious diversity too, lions and lambs coexisting in harmony. God isn't limited by our imagination, our understanding of what's possible. It's not the grand top growth that matters to him, it's the roots, the hidden parts of the tree, which no one sees, but which bring life out of what appears to be dead. Today's readings, then, invite us to ask ourselves where our roots are. Circumstances can fell the strongest of us, 
But if we're rooted in God, if our sense of worth and purpose come from the knowledge of his love, then his life will spring up in us again, and we will be trees that are fruitful and life-giving to those around us too. Amen. As we bring our prayers to God, so we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ, the Son of Righteousness, shine upon you. Scatter the darkness from before your path and make you ready to meet him when he comes in glory. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.